podcast ain't played nobody. When you are as important as this show is, you you go down the five stories in the Hampton Inn and you say, hey, this uh, this basic, thank you for your stay, Hilton VIP internet, it's not working out. You guys need to reset your entire system. No, I don't want a free breakfast. <sighs> it's been a morning, Bill. This We're here vi- now. This is vintage 2015 PAPN in that um, I'm late, I'm on the road, I'm trying to squeeze this in before trips uh, from campus to campus, and I am relying on the ever-so-shoddy uh, Wi-Fi of a roadside motel. So hopefully we sound decent. Um, you're, of course, back home in Missouri. This feels very vintage. Halcyon days. I mean, we're, we're basically approaching our three-year anniversary here, so you know this is our way of celebrating. Been doing the show for three years? I think so. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Feels like longer. This is podcast ain't played nobody. It's a college football marriage. Numbers and words. That's the robot Bill Connolly at SBN underscore Bill C. He wrote the books and stuff. You can get him and stuff on like the Amazons and stuff. Um, he invented in proprietors the S and P Plus analytics system. My name is Stephen Godfrey at Thirty Eight Godfrey. I was a reporter, briefly a TV star. Um, yeah, star would be tough. TV would be even tougher. Um, you can find me at Thirty Eight Godfrey, also at the SNBNations.com on occasion. Um, small piece of housekeeping. A lot of you have asked about the show. Um, as we record this billion, it is the 25th of July until the 30th of July. If for some reason you haven't watched, although we are not making people do nefarious things like steal phones and install the go 90 app for that would be a fool's errand. Go 90 is shutting down. You can watch foul play on go 90 until the end of the month. Um, after that, um, it's amazing how you can get Vox Media's attention when you want to. <laughs> I tweeted out, I tweeted out something to the effect of, "Hey, we're working on the future of, of that show." That's true, but I'm not allowed to say anything else. Um, so, it won't be available. Can I say after- stuff? Can I just make stuff up? Yeah, sure. Um, the show will be back in some capacity. We're just working on that in destination future. Appreciate your uh, your patronage in the in the short window that we had. It wasn't our fault. Uh, it had to do with Yahoo and Verizon and Oath, uh, none of which are companies that SB Nation is connected to directly. We just had an agreement to make a TV show for them. So um, I've had a lot of questions about, like, is this something to do with SB Nation? It is not. We produce, we were essentially producers, and we produced a show for them. Um, we are going to take it back over, and we're going to figure out the future. Um, so, Bill. Yo. Um, as always, a cornucopia, a bounty. Of great questions, but first, but first, but first, there's a good, uh, there's a good, there's a good solid ACC. We had fun last yeah. week with a bad ACC. Um, would you like to discuss the ACC football parts <laughs> or the Larry Fedora parts? Oh God, let's not talk about Larry Fedora yet. Jeez. Um, well, let's talk about the preview that just went up uh, within about the last fifteen minutes. Who you um, got, Bay? Breaking news: A lot of people on Twitter think Mark Richt is bad. I don't know if you realize this. I don't know if this is something. um, Why? um, Because he always underachieves. Duh. Okay. um, All right. It took like, so, so here's the premise. So um, my Miami preview went up this morning and in it, I noted that, excuse me, that, um, you know, Miami's projected, let's see, not bad. I mean, not, amazingly high they're projected 13th overall 
But within those, with the schedule at hand, they are actually a projected favorite in every single game on their schedule. Um, they get LSU on a neutral field uh, to start the season, and uh, they are about a three-point favorite in that one. They're about a seven-point favorite at home against number 18 projected Florida State. Uh, and then they only play one other top 40 team. The, the, the rest of, I mean, going to Toledo, going to Virginia, going to BC, going to Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech, that's not a cakewalk, but uh, it's not bad. And they are technically a projected favorite. They're expected to go, let's see, on average, they are expected to win uh, nine point something games, 9.3 games. So they are projected to not win every single one of those games they're favored because some of them are pretty much toss-ups. But they are in line for a very – this is the highest bar that Mark Richt has found so far at his time um, at uh, in, back in Coral Gables. So it's going to be really interesting to see <clears throat> excuse me, how, how, this, how this gets managed because I do think um, – Legacies are are kind of a dumb thing, obviously, um, and and they're defined by random games or random years. They ignore a lot of context and all that. But there's no question that at the end of Mark Rick's tenure, um, it, it was kind of all over the place. In his last four years uh, at Georgia, they uh, Georgia in 2012 started sixth. Uh, they were ranked sixth in the preseason, and they finished fifth. So that was technically uh, overachieving. The next year, they started fifth and finished unranked. The next year, they started 12th and finished ninth. And then the next year, they finished, started ninth and finished unranked. So it was slight overachievement followed the next year by drastic underachievement. And there are reasons for that, but usually injuries. Uh, a certain offensive coordinator hire of a certain Schottenheimer certainly uh, did not help matters uh, in his last year in Athens. But they were still a team that was um, overachieving as often as not. And then in his first two years at Miami, now he started, you know, in 2016, they were they started unranked, finished 20th. Last year, they started 18th and finished 13th. Now, they, they, they got up to second. So, the, you know, the fade at the end of the year was noticeable, but it was still they finished higher than they started. And that's it's hard to ask for much more than that from year to year. Um but this year is different uh, the, because they are uh, going to be a projected favorite in that way that even though they aren't expected to win every game, it's still going to, if they lose, it'll still be an upset, which you'll, you know, people will you know twist as, as underachieving or whatever, but this is a high expectation year. We, as we talked to Mitch light last month, you know, Athlon has them something like sixth. I don't have them that high, but it's clear to see like there's a path here to an enormous year. And um, if they do not hit that mark, then it's going to be tied with that. While ignoring the overachievement of the last two years, it's going to be tied to that last Georgia team and the third to last Georgia team, the 2013 team. Uh, And it's going to kind of congeal this narrative of underachievement while ignoring all the overachievement that happens in between. We've talked a lot about Mark Rick. I've talked, I've written a lot about Mark Rick and it's, it's endlessly fascinating the things that we latch onto and the things that we ignore. Okay. For a second, it, it may actually, be beneficial for us to be counterintuitive and strip context let's not talk about georgia for a second and okay. let's not talk about ricked for a second is this just one of those teams that be- that looks like because of the there seems to be i always love trying to interpret your the numbers with words oh there's a wide potential for a like 12 and 1 type season right Right. And again, on average, it's saying they're going to win about nine, okay. 10 games, not, not 11 or okay. 12, but it's on the table. So we have to be, I think we have to be very careful with our language here 
Because right. yes, so you, you said favored in every game because LSU is in a neutral site, right? Right. But uh, they are like um, the win probability is fifty eight percent. So you know, three out of two out of five times they're going to lose that game. But technically, they're favored. Yes. I believe we just lost Stephen Godfrey. <laughs> that did not take long. Um, but I'm just going to keep rambling and see if he comes back here in a little bit. Um, but it is, I think, part of the deal here with Rick. Um, well, number one, he's in freaking Georgia. And, and as we've seen, you know, that is a narrative machine. There is a lot of opinion about Georgia football. And, and a lot of it's been backed up by the fact that they, you know, two years after Rick left, they made the damn national title game. Like there's, there's certainly something, uh, you know, they, they, they've, they've done well for themselves in the post-Rick era. And they, they, last year, they actually didn't underachieve in any major way. Obviously, they overachieved pretty significantly. But I, I do think the other part with Rick is that when, when you're consistently projected as a top 10 or 15 team or, or occasionally much, much higher than that, um, you, can only, you can only overachieve by like a game. You can only like I, you know, reading through their records and everything back at Georgia. You know, they started twelfth and finished ninth. Well, technically that's overachieving, but only by a little bit. Uh, started whatever sixth and finished fifth. But when they underachieved, they underachieved drastically. Um, and and so there was an up and down nature there, and there was just a you know a lot more downside than upside kind of nature uh, that that was really tricky. So I, I just still though the 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 it's it's. It's funny to me that the two people I can make, I can use to make people on on the internet irate the most. Uh, that was sort of English there. I I, I think you followed that. Uh, the two people who uh, I can infuriate the most uh, the most people on the internet by simply saying, "Hey, they're a pretty good coach," are Mark Richt and his former offensive coordinator Mike Bobo. Um, that that uh, there's there's something to be said for that. I'm not sure what it is, but I've always found it interesting. Okay, let's. Hey, we're Hi. back. Let's let's remove all that context. Did you hear me say that? Let, let, yes. Let's be counterintuitive. Let's remove the context here. Let's not talk about Mark Richt, former Georgia coach, current Miami coach. Okay, okay. I don't think that's healthy for anybody involved. Even no, though that's Georgia, the, talking about Georgia football is rarely healthy. Yes. Wow. Okay. I'm thinking more along the lines of. Let's look at Miami okay. and let's be very careful in how we use our numbers and, and, and what we say about our numbers. Let's, let's figure out how, even though you're favor, you, you know, you may be favored in every game does not necessarily equate to you're, you're going undefeated. Fair to say. Sure. Yes. Okay. Neutral side against LSU still feels like a coin flip game in a lot of respects. No, yeah, very much so. Okay. Um, I don't, to me, ceiling and floor for disappointment, success, whatever, I, you know, it's it's almost impossible to talk about Mark Rick without getting this wave of stupid response, and it's not just. Oh yeah, it took it took like eight seconds uh, on on Twitter when I posted the preview this morning to get the first LOL. Rick's going to underachieve. Here's the deal. It's funny, Coach. If Coach X, er, you know, Coach Coach X goes to the University of Miami and does what Coach X has done in the last two years, it's an unqualified success. Fair to say? Uh, yes. Right. I mean, from what that where that program was, what they were doing, how they were recruiting, how they, you know, their brand in both South Florida, the state overall and the ACC. Right. All of those things are successes. Right. Yes. Okay. so let's just keep it like that. This is like one of those blind item deals they do with RPI in the basketball tournament. Okay. Um, Coach has. 
essentially returned them to national prominence, made them a contender in the in their in their conference. And they have yet to win a conference title. It's early yet. I mean, it's his year, what, three? Yeah. Um, can we just look at it through that lens? Because trying to apply what happened, especially on the front end of Mark Rick's tenure at Georgia, to me is not applicable to Miami at all. Right. And he, he, he kind of went out of his way to reset when he went from Georgia to Miami too. Like he was going out of his way to basically, Hey, it is an old school show. God, who's calling at nine freaking. Oh. Why, why do you still have a landline? Because it's cheaper to have a landline uh, than not have a landline, but still have cable and internet. This is the most grandfather. And I have no idea how to turn it off or how to unplug it while still not screwing up a bunch of other things. So anyway, happy third anniversary, buddy. Is it this week? I don't, I don't think so. It's probably a few weeks away, but, but you know, in spirit here, we're approaching the the third anniversary. And we're still trying to reconcile Mark, correct? Um, (laughs) And technology. Yes. Look, this is a comfy couch for stupid thought. Yes. Mark, correct. Um, Bottom line is Miami is recruiting better than they have been in Florida. Miami is developing players better than they have been once they get them on the roster. Al Golden had like what at one point, like six or seven or eight kids from New Jersey on the roster at Miami. Like, yeah, they hated that. Miami fans hated that. Well, yeah. I mean, logic hates that. None of those things are happening now. Um, All of the coaches on his staff have a ton of experience. He is as battle-tested as you can get outside of maybe three or four other programs and head coaches in the last 20 years. You know, he's competed at the highest levels, yada, yada, yada. If you want to apply stupid parameters to Mark Riggs, a bad boy can't win a big one. That's fine, I guess. But also, (laughs) like, it's so weird. I don't know if it's fans that are now sort of threatened again by the Miami of old coming back and just, and, yeah. and just sort of backstopping that by saying, well, you know, it's Mark Rick. I, it just, well, and what's funny is because he's at Miami, that's also Miami is also fodder for the same thing. Oh, you always overrate Miami. Oh, you're always, you know, uh, because we're all jump. It's like, but, Nebraska who, has and over, but who has overrated Miami in the last 15 years? Well, there are, I mean, I think it has the same anticipatory kind of effect as like Nebraska or Michigan or some of the other schools that were really good in the eighties and nineties, where it, it is kind of like, okay, now they're back. Oh, 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 now, well, what about now? And so, um, I do think they probably in the past, less so now, but in the past they have gotten, um, pro, you know, a few more spots in the preseason rankings, a few spots higher than they maybe deserved because of that. But the, uh, but just on paper these last two years, the, the two year Mark Rick Miami experience has produced two years of overachievement. And at some point that that's going to end because you can't overachieve forever. Eventually you'll catch up to expectations and then you'll slide a little bit, but, um, or excuse me, eventually expectations will catch up to you, I guess. But it's still like the, the, the short experiment that we've had with these two entities uh, working together they have produced overachievement both times. So they kind of get the benefit of the doubt for me. I, 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 I'm struggling with what to think about this year's team because I saw Malik Rozier play at the end of last season. Um, it takes, I like, as I was walking through you, as you're walking through this preview, you remember, Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, everybody was hurt. <laughs> you know, Amon Richards was barely healthy, missed a couple of games, was limping through when he was in there. Um, he lost uh, his, his tight end. He lost Mark Walton four games into the year. Like by the end of the season, it was basically one receiver, 
and uh, a couple freshmen and a tight end that had never played hardly Michael Irvin, the second. And so basically Rozier bombed, but he, the upside was already very, very limited compared to what it was earlier in the year. So I have three fleeting memories of this Miami team, which I think is probably, probably the basis for what a lot of people who either don't like Miami or don't like Rick or are Georgia fans or whatever. This is what they're basing this off of. I remember November 11th uh, when we were shooting in Mississippi. I remember flipping over and catching the end of that game where they were embarrassing Notre Dame at home. Yeah. And it was the most Miami's back, back, you know, is actually yeah. back moment that you could have had. You beat yeah. you beat Notre Dame at home. You're undefeated. Um, I think the next, I don't know, they played someone not of consequence the next week. And then I remember Pittsburgh at home. Or sorry, Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh. And I remember watching the bulk of that game as I was getting ready to do something else. And all of the rictism, all that stuff coming flooding back. And then I remember, um, I think I was shooting the day of the championship games, but just just seeing a Clemson team better in every f- feasible way. Okay. And all three of those memories are sort of built on something different in football terms, but it allowed for people to build the old Mark Rick narrative, which was peak come up to national prominence, choke. You definitely choked to Pittsburgh. I just think Clemson, oh, yeah. Clemson was inarguably better. Yeah. Yeah, and that game got away from them a lot more than it would have earlier in the year too. Uh, but they still weren't better than Clemson. They weren't going to beat Clemson. And they lost to Wisconsin, which I think we're, of course, legally required to use the words Wisconsin on this podcast, but also <laughs> one of those bowl games that by virtue yeah, of the structure they, of bowl games and not a lot of people remember – no, they they played well against Wisconsin. Wisconsin was just really good, uh, and and Alex Hornibrook was quite good as he was at, at quite a few different times last year. I think that one was added to the list as like a you know the, a, as part of the backslide because we still underestimate Wisconsin. But Wisconsin was damn good, and Miami had them like basically beat them in two of the four quarters, and Wisconsin just beat them a little worse than the other two of the four quarters. Okay, let's do this, Bill, to wrap up on Miami. Let's see if we can sort of thread the needle here and find a a comfortable spot in which, real fast, snap judgment, do you think that Miami is a playoff team, one of the four playoff teams this year? I, I honestly, because I saw, this is almost me being unfair in the other direction now, but the, I, because I saw Malik Rozier play at the end of last year, until until I get a new memory of Malik Rozier, <laughs> I struggle to think of them as a playoff team. I need, I need him okay. to prove that that's last fine. season was just the product of youth and injury and all that. Okay, that's fine. So I, I'm going to say no as well, all right? But I'm going to say that they're a very good team. So let's thread yes. the needle now and give it. Let, let's create a situation in which they don't make the playoff, okay? But they also don't fall into the Mark Rick can't coach, Mark Rick choke, burp, derp, burp, 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 okay? So right. uh, they start the season on a huge game, LSU, on a Sunday night in Arlington, um, their non-conference after that is Savannah State uh, at Toledo yeah. and home against uh, Butch's FIU, Golden Panthers. Uh, really fast. Um, conference schedule is as follows. Home for North Carolina. Home for Florida State at Virginia. By week at BC. Home for Duke at Georgia Tech. At Lane Stadium for VTech. And then home against Pitt. They're really, Revenge really pushing that Pitt rivalry on Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, okay. Let's put LSU to the side for a second. You're going to beat Savannah. You're going to beat Toledo. You're going to beat FIU. Um, 
you're going to beat this is a really funny road schedule like they they are double digit favorites in every road game on this list except virginia tech but beating boston college on a friday night uh what could be a a good burly boston college beating georgia tech in atlanta beating uh, virginia i'm still not completely sure what to think about but they could be solid toledo's so fast and don't it's a tricky don't think analytically think narratively so let's do so so let's do reality number one in which they beat LSU. Okay, okay. they're going to be fine. Those three, they're, they're, if they beat LSU, they're going to win all their non-conference games. You're now at North Carolina, Florida State, at Virginia. You're home against Florida State. We really don't know what we have mm-hmm. there yet. Um, let's right. give them the benefit of the doubt again. Now, have I built a monster? You're seven and zero. You have a bye week. You're going at BC. Mm-hmm. At BC on a Friday at BC night. BC on a Friday night. It's weird. I don't personally see it. Okay, I think this is BC could be really solid this year. I will. say I know, that. but I, I, I know, like I know what Pittsburgh did on a weird Friday game. I get all that. Like, well, no, but they're better than Pittsburgh. Right. Is what I'm saying. I think this is the difference between Mark Richt and previous coaches, where like, like Miami would almost Clemson. Um, the problem is Miami. this. I've now leaned into the benefit of the doubt to okay. Let's say you beat Boston College on a Friday night. You're now undefeated again. You have four games left again. You have Duke at home, and then to me, this is the this is the trick because if you've built yourself into a one, two, three, four, eight, seven, eight win undefeated team, right? Seven and zero, eight and zero. You are more than expected to beat Duke, and then you get into like just enough to trip you up because to me, and this is what I'm getting at. There's a way to assemble a solid nine or ten win season in which Miami is never supposed to be in the playoffs. Supposed to be the Miami of you know the right. the OG Miami, but is still doing everything right, building for the future, building now, all, all that stuff, et cetera. However, if you're eight or nine or eight or nine, eight and zero or nine and zero, and you lose at one of the techs, or or God forbid you drop two in a row to Pitt. Um, then that Mark, the, the whole Rick narrative just comes crashing back in. Okay. So let's back up. So this is just stay with me. I'm a crazy logic. Let's say you lose to LSU. You are off the radar for a hot minute. You're going to go, you're going to win your non-conference games. You're going to beat North Carolina. The heat will be off of you to a degree playing Florida state because we don't know what Florida state's going to start. I, I, I have a really tough time prognosticating Florida state right now. Okay. That could be a seven and five team with a ton of potential in the future. It could be a 10 and two team. Um, so if you have one loss going into Florida state, that changes the complexion dramatically. But if you drop Florida state and then you're able to build and win out late and even drop another one, I think, I think like you're a respectable nine and three team. And then, you know, they're not a national title. I just don't see a national championship right. this year. Yeah. If we, if we are accepting that they're not a national title caliber team, then it would almost be better for them to lose to LSU. Um, and, well, and the and other thing them, is this. And, keep, and keep that train from taking off. To the other thing right. is this, Bill. Let's, let's just say that they're, let's say they're an 11-win team, and then they go and play Clemson in the championship game, and they get murdered right. again. What does that say? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there's no question that the, the, the way everything unfolded last year with starting 10 and 0 and finishing 0 and 3, that always 
that leads to a feeling of underachievement. Basically, even even when um, it, the ten and zero was massive overachievement, you still end up feeling kind of let down because you started to believe there was something more. That was my I've, I've said it here before. That was always my joke with Gary Pinkle uh, before the two thousand seven breakthrough. Is he every year he ex- all but one year basically he exceeded expectations. He just did it in the most disappointed possible way to where Missouri finished with more wins than expected, and everybody was still disappointed. Um, when you start 10 and 0 and you finish 10 and 3, it's a whole hell of a lot different than like right. starting 4 and 3 and finishing 10 and 3. So, yeah, the order here matters. And it'll be really interesting to see. Because, I mean, that, let's see. They have, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. They have seven projected top 50 opponents, um, but four of them come in the last five weeks. So it, the, the schedule does get harder at the end. And if they get by LSU, you are kind of looking at a situation where it would take a pretty significant upset for you to not be five and oh, I mean, uh, when Florida state comes, you're talking back. about national title contending teams, not from the fan, not from the perspective of their individual fan bases. Cause I know Miami fan listening to this is like, well, yeah, we expect to win the national title, whatever, you know, to hell with overachieving. We're on that path. I get that. That's fine. But in the yeah. very nebulous shaky to use, concept of the national consensus i don't think anyone's saying i i don't think people are penciling in miami is one of the playoff four okay so except you know athlon well you know those fools at athlon foolish for giving us money and they actually to, um, to, to their defense they didn't say top four but they were still like sixth yeah six is fine no but to me that's a, there's a huge difference i don't see them as a playoff team i I do see them as a program that's doing everything right to head in the direction. And then maybe, maybe, maybe they're a playoff team in 19, maybe they're a playoff team in 20. I don't know. But so you have to navigate, you know, overachieving is dangerous in college football. It's not, it's still absolutely empirically not as dangerous as underachieving at any point. Okay. No doubt. It's always better to win, but there's definitely something to be said for, uh, short-term gains that hide long-term rebuild. And Miami's right. been the benefactor of that because they did have talent on a messy, messy roster. I don't think there's yeah. a lot of things that you, you can't get away with describing the, the situation where Rick came, you know, what Rick came in, came into. And, and to hell with Al Golden. I'm just talking about the last 10 plus years of Miami football and mm-hmm. applying like, a more organized strategy used and implemented successfully at the top, very top end of the sec to Miami. Right. So there was more talent on that roster. They weren't utilizing guys the right way. They weren't doing the right things. I know I'm in a big bowl of cliche, you know, media day soup here, but it is very true when you talk about what they came into at Miami. Okay, cool. Right. Fair to say. Sure. Yeah. The result of that is that they they probably got a pop in a lot of different in a lot of different key areas earlier than maybe a lot of us expected. But at the same time, the systemic issues still take time to rebuild, right? It was a coat of paint versus fixing the foundation. So, okay, they they overachieved by one or two ish games. I mean, definitely last year, and definitely mm-hmm. the year before. Now you're in a situation in which the lazier side of the media and the national fans say, oh, well, shit, yeah, they, I, that's a playoff team. When in actuality, you probably aren't. Right. No, I, I think <coughs> – excuse me. I think they've – I think we've pulled up short of that. So that's good. Um, but it is kind of a – it is getting to that point where everybody's like Mark Richt alarm is going off because now they're really – 
the first two years, there really weren't that many expectations. First year, there were none. Last year, yeah. it was at least a situation where there was a new quarterback, so everybody tamped that down a little bit. Um, but now you got your quarterback back. You got basically everything. You got depth everywhere on defense except defensive tackle. You've got a healthy Amon Richards, who, who by the way, when healthy, is incredible. Um, you've got a bunch of guys who got exp- more experience than they expected last year because so many guys were hurt. Um, and then you've got like a top 10 recruiting class. So it really, it is starting to pile up and it will be everything about the beginning of Rick's Miami tenure has been different than the end of the one before it than, than his previous tenure. But now you, at some point you get the expectations up to a level where, uh, where where you can change your you can either change or maintain your overall career narrative uh now that there are expectations again it's it, it is worth mentioning you know there's a lot of things that could fall apart for other teams we we, we joked about it last week but that soup of seven and five could could definitely be boiled brewed concocted cooked i don't know <laughs> Um, you know georgia tech and specifically georgia tech and virginia tech could be not as good as we think those could be much more manageable it's, road games by the time you get to well, I, November. Virginia Tech, yeah, Georgia Tech, I, I think we have a, a reasonably moderate read on them. But yeah, Virginia Tech could end up a lot worse than I mean, they're projected twenty first. When I update those rankings, it'll be more probably like thirty yeah. or something. Um, but that could be and the, the whole ACC is. Uh, I mentioned this a little bit last week. How there really isn't a, a, a lower class. There's only a giant middle class and a couple elites. Um, so many of these teams could go like I, 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 when I'm writing these previews, I tend to be pretty optimistic in general. I, t- I try to take the opt- optimistic spin if, if one exists. Uh, and there's no question that like ever all 14 ACC teams have pretty significant, like top 40 potential, but Virginia, we just don't know yet. Boston college actually has to deal with expectations instead of just like bombing through half the season and then starting to play well when nobody was looking Georgia tech, um, might actually have a good defense this year, but still might not be able to, to they still like the quarterback situation and whatever else, they still might not quite have a fully functional option offense to what compared to what we've seen. Virginia tech has like a brand new linebacking core and a brand new defensive back uh, field. And so, so many of these teams have massive variability and, and all that. And we haven't hardly hit anything about Florida state yet because we're, you, you can't talk about Miami without, talking about florida state in some way they're they're so tied together as a rivalry and we we've seen the effects of miami losing to florida state in the past where they immediately fall into a three-week funk after that um how good florida state is out of the gates um which i'm semi-optimistic but it's still hard to tell for sure how good they are when they come to miami how well they play in that game and all that that's going to define miami season as much as anything else and and it's we we have no idea until we yeah we just don't know um Virginia Tech. Yes. I got nothing. <laughs> how I want, much? How much? I, I, I want to have. Look, I think I, maybe I'm wrong here, but I think it's okay in this business to to be honest and transparent and say, "Hey, I've looked at, I've read the same team previews that everyone else has read, and I've read the same magazines, and I, I mean, I have the luxury of talking to you whenever I want. I got nothing. I don't know." I don't know. It could be bad. Basically, it could be bad. It could be bad. But you, for it to be as bad as I think I've seen some people suggest, you have to you have to accept the thought that Bud Foster might not have a good defense. Um, yeah, that's fair. 
And that's hard. That's a hard thought to comprehend because even, even when he had a young volatile unit, he still feels like a top 40 defense. It just, it, it is the way it is, you know? And so I, I mean, they're too deep on defense, got nuked. Their best defensive lineman's gone. He's the only one gone on the defensive line, so they should still have a pretty solid line. But, um, like, literally almost everybody, like, the, the linebacking core has, like, two and a half career tackles. Uh, the, the secondary has, like, 19 career tackles. The Juco def- uh, defensive back that he brought in to start immediately tore his, AC, or his Achilles. Um, so, I mean, they are starting fresh. They've got talent. Uh, it's all sophomores <laughs> and, and freshmen. And um, there are going to be some pretty significant glitches along the way. But the bottom line is, if you think that there's still a pretty high floor for a Bud Foster defense, the offense isn't going to be worse. It might not be all that much better, but that's still probably a top 40 team. And so I I really struggle like that whole high floor concept. I really struggle um, with the thought of them falling too far, even though I know very well how much their defense has gotten nuked this off season. It's going to be tough. Um, man, another, another, it, it just, let's play it out again. You lose it. Florida state, you lose. Okay. Yes. You, but then, you, then, <laughs> then you could go about building a really good season very quietly. Yes. You really could. Uh, yep. William and Mary East Carolina, old dominion at duke uh notre dame at home notre dame at home would be a key opportunity i think to especially if you're losing to florida state by let's say like two touchdowns um i think you quietly go about building building back from that and then you can i mean look it's notre dame has notre dame ever been to blacksburg it's still blacksburg it's still one of the greatest places Mm -hmm. to play college football like um there's definitely potential there without having to quantify Notre Dame for a second to win that game and then go about pushing yourself to a really respectable, even as low as eight win season. Um, I don't know. I would call eight wins would be very respectable this year. When you've got that defense and you've got a a lot of teams, like there there aren't that many elite teams on the schedule, but there's a whole hell of a lot that'll be between about 25th and 45th. Um, Tech fans are weird. And you're going to lose some of those. Tech fans are weird. and And I sort of mean that as a compliment. They're not ever going to outwardly saber rattle the same way that other fan bases will. And I think Virginia right. Tech is a better program than a lot of people think. And for some reason, I think Virginia Tech's a better program for the same reasons or, or in spite of some of the same reasons I criticize like a Tennessee or a West Virginia or other schools relegated to Appalachia where you don't have the nearby talent. Because, I mean, <laughs> dude, that bridge that that Beamer built across that state is made out of freaking concrete. You know, it's not going anywhere. Tech's brand never really suffered. And I know they had the benefit of the rarest of all things, which is one of those like lifetime era program building head coaches, which we, we really don't see anymore. I don't think we'll ever see again, but it's like, I think Justin Fuente is a good coach. I think his offense is attractive to recruit to. And the system still works. Whereas like, you know, given given the changing of the tides, West Virginia will have a, a you know a dominant amount of Florida on the roster, and then they'll be able to reflect that on offense. Or then they try and do the Texas thing, and it may not work for a couple years. Whereas Tennessee just sort of forgot to recruit nationally, like Tennessee was supposed to after the Fulmer Halcyon days and all that. Mm-hmm. The word the podcast is Halcyon. Um, hey, I don't know. I like Virginia Tech. 
I'm a little surprised at some of the like punches in the mouth they've had roster wise, which I don't really have. Yeah, There's no way to sort of blame all that cumulatively on one thing. I'm curious if people are going to start nipping at Fuente, but I think Tech's a pretty smart fan base and a pretty like they're yeah. pretty rare in my opinion of like a fan base that sort of knows exactly what they are and also doesn't <laughs> have a lot of angst about it. So my preview basically just laid out like this has been a terrible offseason. It's changed expectations, but they could still be all right. And then whatever answers they find on defense, they're going to have for 2019 too. So, you know, it's kind of a building for next year kind of thing. They all basically took a deep breath and said, okay, I don't really like this, but I get it. And um, I think everybody, I think for the most part, nobody's going to love eight and four, but I think everybody, if you could just, if, if, every Virginia Tech fan that I was interacting with, like if you gave them the option of basically fast forwarding 12 months and saying, hey, you went eight and five last year, they would say, okay, fine, cool, that's fine. You know, that it, living through it is never all that much fun, but I think they understand that you, you win eight games this year. Let's see, S&P has them projected to win eight, but that's before the update. So it'll be more like probably seven or seven and a half when I've updated everything. You get to seven or eight wins, you know, th- that that was fine. You shouldn't evaluate Fuente because you see like, you know, he he – the secondary he expected to have on the field this year had Mook Reynolds and Nickelback had Adonis Alexander, a cornerback um, and therefore had a very seasoned secondary still would have had a a brand new set of linebackers, but you can overcome linebacker turnover more than other places. Um, But now they're without, you know, Alexander's was ineligible and Reynolds got kicked off the team. And then, like I said, the Juco transfer, Jeremy Webb tore his Achilles. So now you really are just, you're just tossed in, a whole bunch of sophomores. One of them, by the way, is named, uh, I think it's, I've, I've never actually heard his name said out loud. So I think it's divine D blow, uh, but it's D E A B L O. I'm going to say that means his name is divine Diablo, Works for um, me. which is amazing, which is amazing. But in four games last year, he had a, a one and a half tackles for loss and four passes defense. He was on his way to a very good season before he got hurt. So if he's healthy, they could really could be solid in the back. But you just, uh, it, it's so many ifs there, so many new players. And so, yeah, you win seven or eight games, just take it. Take it and then uh, demand more than I have a question. Year. Where are your tears at? <clears throat> Why didn't you coordinate this? Well, that's not, it's not my fault we record on those dates. I'm not, the, t- the tears will come out. Let's see. Louisiana, or excuse me, Louisville preview will go up tomorrow. Clemson Friday, uh, ACC power, power rankings on uh, Monday. So next Wednesday, we can talk about it. All right. Well, then we should probably. Spoiler. Guess who's going to be in year one probably by themselves. Yeah, pretty easy. Um, well, then I guess next week will definitely be one, the Clemson episode, two, the ACC wrap-up, and then we'll jump ahead. Uh, where are you going next? Who's, who's ass in well, do we get to stare at next? I was about to say, there's only one ass left, uh, and it is Tennessee. Oh, I'm just going to pause for the unintentional shutdown podcast <laughs> moment that we had. It wasn't, it wasn't totally... It wasn't totally unintentional. Let's just it say felt that. unintentional for me. I would never do that to our <laughs> listenership. Um, Larry Fedora. Impeccable oh, timing, right. Mr. Fedora. You were literally yapping as we were wrapping up our last podcast. It's one of the reasons we're debating changing our podcasting format so we can just catch wonderful <laughs> news items like this. Um, let's do this. Let's just play the, let's play the simple statement game, Bill. Uh, I thought you were going to say play the clip. I'm like, wait a no, simple, simple, simple statement here. Um, there is a link between the game of football and head injuries with long-term lingering effects. 
Yeah, there's the, the there is no scientific consensus on it because it takes forever to get scientific consensus on it. But yes. Larry Fedora, I question not your motive, and I question not your intent, but your tactics were terrible, my man. Terrible. One of these days I'm just gonna get frustrated with the the, the increasingly shitty landscape of national media in terms of the employment side, give up and start a consulting firm. <laughs> I would have I would have pulled the well biceped uh, fedora aside and said, "Hey, bud, we need to talk about how you want to go about starting a crusade for no reason <laughs> in front of a random group of reporters at ACC Media Days. If you want to plan a flag on this, why don't you wait until you have a sit down with a reporter that you respect for a longer piece after doing some very specific research? Because the problem is this." Fedora's claims, I think, I think it, it was it was compounded by the environment by which he did it in. Um, it's not a politically correct term, but we used to call those things th- those environments where a bunch of people run up with a tape recorder and there's like 13 guys with their arms out. We just call it a gangbang. Like it's a terrible, <laughs> terrible environment because everyone's trying to jump on different questions with different completely different motives, and 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 everyone's you, you could always tell what feature somebody's writing or or who was trying to be like a wise ass or whatever. It's not a place to explore the nuance and really the uncertainty of a subject as complicated as CTE and and sports. Fair to say? (laughs) Fair to say, yes. It's also fair to say that you shouldn't come out and condemn Larry Fedora to the depths of hell and that he should be fired immediately and he he, he is to be tarred and feathered in the public square. There are I, – I, I'm going to stop myself. I'm going to say you – know, I was going to say, oh, you know, there are parts of what he said that you know, are technically true, yeah. But I also don't want to contribute to the overall thought process that, you know, that this is all a scam or that America you – know, the stuff where he's like, you know, football is America, America is under attack. Like, just throw that shit out for a second. Let's just talk about the CTE part. CTE is a work in progress. We don't understand it. Mm-hmm. We do not fundamentally understand it. We are seeing correlations that are alarming, flat out. Also, common sense, as someone who's had a concussion in his life, a severe concussion concussion in his youth, um, I can tell you there is – nobody's going to argue that playing football, one, increases the probability that you're going to suffer severe head trauma and that, two, that that head trauma is going to have a lasting negative effect on your, or, on your mental and physical well, well-being for the rest of your life. No doubt, full stop. Now, after that, we're still trying to figure it all out. After that, we're trying to we're trying to understand specifics as to how much body collision contributes to this. So, right. one of the things that uh, that always stands out in my mind, having had a, a previous career in a different violent world, <laughs> um, uh, one of my former coworkers, a guy named Mick Foley, talked a, a lot because he Mick was a high, is a very highly intelligent human being who suffered a, a lot of head trauma in his career as a professional wrestler. But he had started a study a couple years ago when I wrote a profile on him, he was doing stand-up comedy and uh, he talked a lot about the, the other forms of collision on the body and whether or not they may be just as um, deadly in terms of the, uh, it's called like a micro concussive. Mm-hmm. Um, basically it, anything that would cause if you got hit in the small of your back while standing up and then brought to the ground, 
how much of that reverberation impacts right. your spine and your brain inside of your skull as your head sort of moves around your skull with that with that fluid right with that um, kind of the whiplash kind of movement almost yeah bill and i aren't doctors the, the verbiage we're using right now is probably making a couple of the doctors that they'll listen to this show cringe um I'm just going to give you – here's the cautionary tale. I mean this is what I advise. Um, football's dangerous. It always has been. Um, my wife and I talk a lot about our sons because I have one son that might actually be a live bear that just slipped into the nursery. Yeah, he's um, kind of already about like junior high lineman stage. I mean, yeah. I, like I made the joke on this podcast before, but I did have an offensive line coach once he saw the numbers be like, I mean, God forbid I'm doing this in 17 years, but I will recruit your son to play, you know, tackle or guard. Um, but we're, but my wife is adamantly against it. Absolutely no way um, at, at this moment. What I think Fedora is responding to is what a lot of coaches are responding to, Bill, and that there is a real trend in youth sports against football. They're seeing it a lot. Well, so let's walk through. Here's what, here are the actual quotes, just so uh, in case you vaguely heard about this topic but didn't dive into it. Um, let's make sure you know what we're talking about specifically. So um, first of all, like, first of all, like the, the part that I think got him the most mockery is when he says – is when he used this specific language. He said, our game is under attack. I fear that the game will be pushed so far from what we know that we won't recognize it 10 years from now. And if it does, our country will go down too. Um, so to, to respond to that, don't be afraid of a game that looks a little more wide open and flag football-y. We're going to have fun with it. We just, we are. We, we will have fun with whatever version of football exists because while collisions are sometimes pretty enjoyable to watch, we'll live with fewer, fewer of them. We just will. It, it'll be okay. But when you tie that to it's an attack on America, um, that's going to get mocked in certain pockets of Twitter. So that, that, that was his, that was the big thing is then because he said it like that, everything else he was going to say was going to get, you know, put under that umbrella. The rest of what he said was up and down, we'll say. So, so I don't think it's been proven that the game of football causes CTE. Uh, we don't really know that. Are there chances for concussions? Of course, there are collisions, but the game is safer than it's ever been. Uh, the last sentence, I agree with. <laughs> low bar. <laughs> low bar to say that football is safer than it's ever been. Um, but it is. We don't have as many head-to-head collisions now as we used to, and, and that's good. Uh, the, one of the problems we're dealing with is, is time because a lot of these studies – are you know over a period of years and decades so we won't completely know the effects of the recent rule changes for a long time but uh i i think it is yes it is safe to say that the game as it is currently constituted is safer than it has been it needs to be a lot safer but it is the, the steps that we've seen in recent years are good ones and and we just need a few more of them the rest of that whole are there chances for collisions of course we don't yeah that's all like that's using like a scientific study to bail yourself out and say actually we haven't proven like yeah yeah it causes cte probably more like he, he then also mentioned i'm not sure that anything is proven that football co- itself causes it we do know from what my understanding is that repeated blows to the head cause cte so i'm assuming that every sport you have football included could be a problem with that as long as you've got any kind of contact you could have that yes football has more contact we if you're going to say that you have to acknowledge football has more contact than most sports um so it really he's kind of da- he's he's playing with the language here uh which is fine just don't also say it's an attack on america 
um, that's where you start. That's where you lose any potential audience you have or any chance you have for a real conversation. Um, I, I, that's, that's where you, that's where you lose it. Um, I, I, I hesitate to make this transition, but I, it's in my, it's in my head. Um, I was rereading a piece from, from 2014 by Vox.com's Ezra Klein about how it it, it was the attack on America language that reminded me of this, um, about how basically like there were studies, let's see, he he mentioned a, a study by a couple of Stanford university researchers where, um, they had a thousand people, some sample student resumes and asked them to decide which deserved a scholarship. Uh, the resumes included clues to both the race and the political orientation of the applicant, as well as information about their grades. Uh, as it turned out, race mattered, but political orientation mattered even more. Democrats and Republicans chose the resumes that shared their politics roughly 80 percent of the time. Um, the grades should have driven the decisions, but the activation of political identity made grades pretty much irrelevant. Um, and then he shared later on in this post, he talked about like a uh, some po- recent poll results like, you know, should 12 years a slave win the Oscar, 15% per 15% of Republicans said yes, and 53% of Democrats said yes. Um, should should uh, Donald Sterling be forced to sell the Clippers, 26% of Republicans said yes, 68% of Democrats. Like, everything has become a partisan argument. Like, everything has become a tribal thing. And, and so that's how I think you get such a natural – uh, transition from how is, is football getting safer to attack on America? Because like when, when we, everything is partisan, we end up with like clusters of thoughts, clusters of things we have to believe to, to be based on where we are on the political spectrum. Um, and I think that's how you get to where Fedora got. And I'm sure that a lot of coaches would make that same logical connection. Uh, I just wish he hadn't done it because it, um, th- th- so many of these conversations we need to have. And, um, we, it, 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 we, at the moment we end up in this little box, um, we we don't end up having those conversations. But since I mentioned Vox.com, I should mention uh, we have been asked to tell you about Vox Explainer series on Netflix tonight after dinner or whenever. You should be able to turn on Vox's new Netflix show called Explained. Uh, Every episode is its own 15-minute dive into one topic. Um, It's kind of – it's it's Vox.com for Netflix more or less. And uh, this week's episode, though, is about sports. It's about a sports that needs – it's about a sport that needs explaining cricket. Uh, This should be – a very worthwhile thing. I, I will tell you that I have British friends who tell you cricket is the best drinking sport on the planet. So uh, not that you need assistance. We've got plenty of drinking sports of our own, but uh, cricket's a good one. Uh, and if you want to catch up, if you want to learn about cricket, uh, now's your chance uh, on Vox's Netflix show Explained. It's got Stephen Fry geeking out about cricket. It is his favorite sport. It asks, how did this confusing British game become one of the most popular sports on earth? It explains the surprising history of the sport and just how it got to be so complicated. And as a fo- an American football podcast, we do know about complicated sports ourselves. Um, it breaks down the laws of cricket. They are called laws and not rules. But this is a good... Uh, if, if you've heard about this show um, and you want to give it a shot and you're a sports fan first, this is probably the best episode to jump in on. 
Um, and, and, and again, if you need one more sport to, to drink on, if, if you, if you are a Fubo subscriber or maybe they show it on BN or something like that, uh, you can find some West Indies cricket from time to time. If you want to know what's going, what the hell's going on there, cause it looks like it's kind of fun. Now's your chance. Bill, oh, look at me just talk. Like that was the most natural segue I'm ever going to have. I'm so proud of you. All right. One more thing before we get into questions. Um, Scott Frost, do you know who he is? I, I don't. I've never heard of Scott Frost, no. Okay, well, he is the defending national um, – I'm, I'm, I'll stop. Um, at Big Ten Media Days, he acknowledged the situation with UCF. He acknowledged the, the problems with the playoff, and he proposed what I propose. So I think Scott Frost is a genius, even though he's usually a dick when you put a microphone in front of him. Um, he said, it's hard to look at last year's college football season and not feel like an 18 playoff isn't where we should go. That's my opinion. I think it should be five conference champions and three at large teams. And that would give us a prize conference champion that plays well at the end of the season, a shot. And it might give a team like we had at UCF last year, a shot. Uh, he goes on to talk about the scheduling, basically not treating it like a, um, you know, not treating it like a bowl every time, which mm-hmm. I'm a huge proponent of because they're not bowls anymore. And they need to get rid of the bowl pageantry. That's completely useless. So um, you can find this over at SB nation. Alex Kirshner wrote it up. He also has your stuff that we, you know, we've talked about this ad nauseum. I thought it was, I thought it was a nice way for the now head coach of Nebraska to talk about the playoff in a way that no one else is qualified to do, even though it wasn't his current job. You know, he didn't abandon UCF and, and, and the, you know, how they were screwed, but it's a way of sort of moving on from stumping for a school he doesn't work for anymore. So um, yeah, bully for him. You know, it was, it was a good way to handle it. Yeah, and I mean, he, he's not wrong. I mean, that, that really is, I mean, we've talked about this plenty of times, but yeah, the 18 playoff where you've got five power conference champions and we need to specify not three at-larges, two at-larges and a G5 representative. Because I mean, I think his thought is three at-larges, that'll get, that had gotten, you know, UCF in last year, it wouldn't have. The committee would have still screwed the G5 unless you specifically make them include a G5 rep. Um and so, but if you, that structure is perfect because now if you have that at the beginning of the season, you can legitimately claim, uh, no matter who you are, unless you're one of the independents, I guess, uh, that you have a, you have a specific shot at the national title. Um, like, I mean, everybody in division one basketball can claim that they don't, of course, because most teams are going to be bad, but you can at least say if we are surprisingly awesome and we go undefeated, we have a path to the title. And, and you obviously like basically the group of five portion of FBS is, is just about the only, aside from like HBCUs, then Ivy league and FCS, just about the only group of, of football teams that starts a given year without a path to the national title. Um, I guess if you go way down on the, in, in the division, like three ranks, you can find some interesting circumstances there too, as small schools, but um but that's the that, that's the situation, and that would solve it. Now, as I've said before, like as part of the commission platform thing from last year and whatnot, basically, if we set this up like that, if we have an eighteen playoff, we're gonna have a team playing sixteen games, maybe two teams playing sixteen games, and at some point, you really can't take that step unless you're actually going to address the 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 long term physical health issue, just the, the the overall player compensation and player health issues. Uh, that we've been talking about forever. Um, this is all a joke, flat out. Um, Fourteen playoff and the way it's structured now uh, is a complete barrier to entry for the majority of college football teams. If you're going yes. to create a fourteen playoff, then just go ahead and admit that it's for the Power Five and move on. Um, but don't do this fake democracy crap and 
I think six is a great step and six is if six is the is the compromise I'm happy with six eight is 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 the in my opinion the best way to do it eight just I think we get to I, I think we get to eight eventually it's just this is college football and every time everything takes eight times longer than it should my thing is I would tweak uh, what he said. I would tweak the three at large. I would say, uh, I would say, take your Power Five champions, lock them in, lock in a guaranteed uh, G five spot, and then do two at large bids. That's my opinion. Right. Yeah. So then that gives you the mystery of one on, on quote unquote selection Sunday or whatever. So you would wake up Sunday morning and you would know the you would know six teams that were in. You know, no, five actually, for sure, and you'd actually, have you actually sorry, yes, idea. You, yeah. yes, you would you would have five champions. You would know the committee would decide the highest ranking uh, G5 champion, which in some years could be, you know, a fairly interesting race. Some years right. it's you know, going to be Houston. Usually we know, but it could be interesting, yeah. yeah. Going to be Houston or going to be Western Michigan or what have you. And then, uh, and then really, honestly, you know, who, who gets those two other bids? I think that's awesome. Yeah. That, that would be a, that, that's drama. It's good television. Of course, the seating is the other big thing, too. Like, I don't think, I, also, I would put as a caveat, that if you win your conference, you win a power five conference, you are not guaranteed a one through five. Um, you know, you could still be, sl- you, you, if you win the ACC and you suck, you still might be slotted eighth, you know, especially if there's an upset in one of these conference championship games mm-hmm. where some eight and four team or seven and five team upsets a national title contender, you'll probably be slotted eighth. Um, you know what? I just realized why this won't work. What's that? Notre Dame. Well, they would. I mean, I, safe to say, uh, they would get priority with one of those two at larges. Uh, Just join a conference, Jesus. <laughs> I, I mean, that's fine too. I, you know, so sick of this. Bill, it's question time. Yeah, seriously, we've we've got like an hour, and our connectivity is getting worse by the second. No, so thank you, this. thank you, Hampton. In um, Bill, we uh, as always, you can find us at uh, uh, hashtag AskPAPN on the Twitter sphere. Um, let me pull up the multitude of questions that have been asked. Um, By the way, uh, as a programming note, uh, we started to get a little bit of pushback uh, last week. I got a couple different responses. I think it was you probably got them too. Basically saying some to some effect, uh, can we knock it off with the Saban Ors? I think we, it's been played out. Um, I need a Saban. Hey, here's the deal. I think we should go Saban Ors again this week. Mm-hmm. And then my Saban Ors solicitation, your homework for this week is y'all just vote on Saban Ors. I just want to. I want to. I want the the people who are asking us questions habitually, week in and week out, our hardcores, and even if you're a casual, just hit us up on the Ask PAPN hashtag and just say, "Hey, I'm sick of it. Hey, it's funny. Whatever. Move on." And you know what? This is gonna. This is just gonna be a, like a, a backdoor solicitation for them to say, "Bring back box score bingo." <laughs> well, see, and here is. I'll know that Sabanor has played out when the when the questions aren't interesting, but people are coming up with good ones still. To I me. agree. I agree. Uh, Chester Leach asks, is there a more interesting coordinator to follow than Matt Canada over under one year at Maryland? Hashtag ask me a pin. Um, uh, his uh, Twitter handle is at sustainable arch. I would say um, well, it's not going to be under one year. It's not going to be under, I but it's, I think it's going to be one year. <laughs> Um, pop. Right. If you say over under is two years, then I, I give me under. I think. Yeah, definitely. I think he's there for a year, and I think there's a multitude of factors that could cause him to be gone. But I, I definitely think it's just a pit stop for him. I also think that that coaching staff is not long for Maryland. Um, right. Exactly. I mean, that, the coaching staff as a whole could be in trouble there. So even if he wanted to stay, he might not be able to. There is a um, ferocious, ferocious. Um, 
amount of acrimony between he and LSU. So how that plays out and like how his reputation changes and how LSU's reputation changes for it. Um, it's going to be, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what Matt Canada does post LSU. I really, I haven't written my, I'm looking forward to writing my LSU preview because I have a lot of thoughts on LSU. Um, good and bad really like better than the baseline at the moment and way worse than the baseline at the moment. But him, it really is like when you get hired to a new job and you got to scramble and put together a recruiting class, you don't do all your research on these, on everybody. You end up with kind of, you know, more turnover. You, you take some risks that don't pay off because uh, you didn't do your research on kids all the way. Cause you didn't have time. That's what it feels like. The Ed Orgeron hire of Matt Canada was like everything from, from the offense he was trying to run to his, his very abrasive personality or hard to accept personality. I, I, within the coaching circles i've heard a lot of people say like he's hard to work with he's he's a genius but he's hard to work with like all of these things that we kind of knew beforehand it's it's like edo didn't know them, and he just like went okay who's the best available guy give me him yep uh and and then it played out exactly like you could kind of guess it would play out in retrospect we weren't saying this a year nope um but it was still on the table that Canada was hard to get along with and that he was going to run a, you know, an offense with a lot of shifts in motion and all these things that, that Edo apparently saw and went, wait, what? And, and, and tried to curb. Um, but that's not, this is not, does not, as much as this is Canada's fault too, it does not reflect well on him that, that he didn't see any of this. Coming. Daniel Whitmore at Sir, Sir Hafrican, uh, how the, he's got a two for here. How sustainable is the ACC's middle class? Is the recruiting cl- is the recruiting base large enough, and the coaching styles diverse enough for it re- to remain indefinitely? Uh, sh- short answer: No. Also, which conference had the deepest middle class for the longest? And then he follows that up: uh, Is Larry Fedora uh, out at the end of the year? And if so, would Neil Brown be a good fit? Um, they they have the same yeah, that's agents. Um, that's interesting. Um, yeah, uh, Neil would do great at North Carolina. I think that's a great program for yeah. him to be at. Um, Middle class. As far as the sustainability, yeah. So the recruiting base is not very large, but coaching styles are very, 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 very diverse. Um, so for that re- for that reason alone, I think it's semi-sustainable. It just matters um, what expectations are within the middle class. Sure, yeah. Right, yeah. Like if, if you're going to get impatient and every, every school is going to demand 10 wins in the next couple of years, then things could fall apart. Look, boiling down um, to this. Take Clemson off the table, take Florida State, take Miami off the table. All the rest of those schools, how many of them are mm-hmm. seriously going to their head coach and their athletic director, the top-level boosters, the school president, and the people that define those individual institutions? How many of them are going to the AD and the, and the head coach and saying, we expect to compete for conference, conference championships and, and a, a bid to the playoff? How many schools are seriously saying that? Maybe Virginia Tech and Louisville. Okay. There's a tier. I'm scrolling through the rest of the teams. Yeah. yeah like otherwise, I, then, I doubt it. Then how many are just expecting a functional above 500 program privately? Consistent winner, someone who can reach up, Everybody. grab you, feel good about that. Those are the people that are going to cause the churn. In other words, what is the what is the ceiling of expectation right now for Dave Dorant? What is the ceiling of expectation right now as Larry Fedora has been there for a considerable amount of time at North Carolina? That's where you're going to see the churn. Mm. You know, if Vatek isn't a 10 win soon, yeah, they're going to, they're going to address that issue. There is an expectation there. The expectation at Vatek is different. I don't know what, I don't know what the expectation is privately, truly, honestly, 
at North Carolina, at NC State, at Virginia, BC, et cetera, so forth. And that's that's the problem. Yeah, yeah the baseline for a lot of those schools, and, and this is one of those things, too, where we were talking last week about how a good conference could have a bunch of teams with really good records or a good conference could have a ton of teams with six and six records, just depending on who wins the close games. Um, so schools like Boston College or Duke or maybe Virginia or Syracuse, teams like that, like I think as far as a baseline goes there, they would be satisfied with, with like the seven, a win barrier or something in that neighborhood, as long as it occasionally produces something more. Um, I mean, we, we saw it Virginia, we saw it Georgia tech, we saw it a lot of places where just going seven and five every year, you, you need the peaks. Even if they come with a couple of valleys, you almost need the peaks because simply going seven and five every year will drive people crazy. I think Nils Anderson asks if Michigan does not win the big 10 East this year, how hot is the seat under Jim Harbaugh? I don't think it's hot at all. No, I, th- I think he's, got, I think he's got all of the right people safely in his corner. He has, is, uh, he has played every note right with the, Michigan man culture up there that he has been given such an extension of, of his leash that I think he could crank through eight, nine win seasons consistently um, without a ton of heat. I think it's more about beating Ohio state at some point. Right. I think that's, that's the biggest thing here is I was talking about, you know, you can't talk about Miami without thinking about Florida state. Michigan's in a very weird place where they could be more consistently good than they've been since the nineties. But Ohio state is one of the two best programs in the country year to year, two or three. Um, and if you're top six, but the other team's top three and you still lose to them because they're amazing. Um, that, that creates this weird little imbalance where you are clearly doing well and, and everybody wants all the, the money people want to keep you. And the athletic director is thrilled because you're top six every yeah. year, but you're still losing to your rival every year. And eventually the fans start, you know, reacting in strange ways to that. So very strange situation. Uh, Stuart Hinton asks, why has it been so difficult for Southern Miss to make the jump to at least the AAC, if not a P5? I know some would say, excuse me. Oh, oh man. I talked about Southern Miss and it got me the clint. Uh, uh, I know some would say TV revenue, but do the Memphis and Tulane, do, do the Memphis, do Memphis and Tulane really provide that? In other words, how does UM and how do you, I'm correcting your grammar how here, Stuart. You yeah, how do UM and Tulane get the nod over USM? Uh, there's a couple things at play here, Stuart. One, um, it is in a rural market. It is it is definitely third place in a, in a poor state with no television presence or really no – there's not a lot of attractive from a consumer standpoint about Mississippi. Um, I covered Southern Miss. Uh, it's a great program. It's scrappy as hell. I love the ethic. I love the attitude. Um, but, but Memphis and, and Tulane got the nods because at the time there was a rallying around urban and, uh, markets and, and giving the cities of new Orleans and Memphis to a conference that's looking for identity was strong. It's a good move. Um, Hattiesburg, right. I mean, that's, Hattiesburg that's has plenty to, to offer. It's just, yeah. it, I liked Hattiesburg. I, we rolled through Hattiesburg on our way to new Orleans back in May. I, I enjoyed it. Um, Memphis also, keep in mind, up until recently, was very much a basketball brand and was adding to basketball yeah. in a way that, you know, USM and Tulane, they aren't in that kind of conversation. So, yeah, you can at least talk about having like your conference basketball tournament in Memphis or, you know, if you were to ever move to a neutral site with, for a, a conference title game, which I don't 
see that happening. But if you were, then you now have New Orleans and Memphis as a, as potential rotation members. Like that's still attractive, even if the whole idea of, t- of TV and metro areas and all that is is not as strong as or logical as it seemed like it was a few years ago. There's still a draw to those cities. There's no question about it. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it, I, I don't want to come off as condescending, but you got to fix your house, man. You just got to fix your house. You got to, there's so much going on with USM and shoring up financial issues and, and just be your best self right now. And don't worry too much about the conference situation, because honestly, what, what in life changes for USM if they join uh, AAC? I don't know. You know, I don't know. A little, you, you make a little bit more money. There's a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. So uh, let's see. Trying to get as many in and Ian. go as fast. All right, you go. Ian. Ian at Ian is tweeting asks, is there any data or eye test logic that says Oregon is a threat to compete this year? Herbert projects well, but they seem like a dangerous six and t- six team, maybe seven and five. Uh, somebody didn't read my preview, uh, which reminds everybody that when Justin Herbert was healthy uh, in the regular season last year, they were six and one. So that gets you pretty close to seven and five already. Um, they are a double-digit projected favorite in five games. They are a projected favorite in 10 games overall. So I think, uh, yeah, the ceiling's a hell of a lot higher than 6-6 six and six or 7-5 and five for Oregon this year. And maybe it's just like 8-4 and four if you lose some of those close games. But let's not, let's not underestimate the combination of Justin Herbert on offense um, with, a, with most of his receivers and Wake Forest's best receiver last year. Uh, and a very exp- and a more exp- experienced offensive line and a defense that might actually be able to do something this year and and actually was was competent under Jim Levitt last year and then he kept Levitt. Oregon has a lot going for it, not national title level like Chip Kelly, a lot going for it, but a lot going for it right now. Next, let's go. You want to knock out the Saban Ors? Yeah. Okay. Um, Saban Or. Uh- <laughs> Dakota Meyer. I like the masochistic ones. Rutgers wins in 2018 or saving national titles from this point forward until retirement. I like, I like this question because I can boldly say, give me Rutgers over saving. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> that works. Or using two and a half. God, it's mean. It's so mean. Yeah. Um, oh man. Uh, let's see. Uh, Kevin, Sim- <laughs> Kevin Samar saving or saving college football playoff national championship titles. I assume he means from here on out. Or Bama SEC titles. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Um. um <laughs> History suggests national. I would titles. say national titles. I think it's. I think it's a. There's more of a likelihood that what happened last year happens again than than the reverse. Them winning the SEC and losing in the first round of the playoff, or the or the title I mean, game. They did that in 2014, so it's not impossible. Yeah, you know, it's it's happened. But the opposite has also happened, so that, that's what makes it a good question. Um, Chris, I, I'm Chris Conrad. Uh, Saban or Jonathan Smith packed 12 wins in his first two seasons. That one's good because wow. it really might be Saban. It might be Saban. Um, he said conference wins, right? I, right. So do, does do, does Jonathan Smith top three, hit three or more in conference wins? In his first two seasons two at Oregon State. Yes. In that division yes. at Oregon State. Here's a reminder that they are at least an eight-point underdog uh, per S&P Plus in every single Pac-12 game this year. Oh, are we going with two um, and a half? Yeah, that seems to be what we do with this, yeah. Mm, hang on. I'm going to look at 
I, I'd like to think they can get one this year and two next year. So I'm going to, I'm going to confident. Let me look at the schedule before I make a that determination. Very here. close. Arizona. I'm a man Arizona fully State, confident. Washington State. Well, hang on. I'm, I'm fully confident of Nick Saban winning three national championships. So, okay. Um, okay. Their home games this year are Arizona, Washington State, Cal, USC, and Oregon. Yeah, they're losing all those. They, they could pick off either Washington State or Cal, something to that effect, because um, upsets happen, but it's really hard to say they're going to win. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's say one and then 2019. Let's see if I don't know if the conference schedule, the conference schedule's not up yet. So, eesh. Ah, Saban, Saban, Mark Walters, Saban, or Penn State Big Ten titles under James Franklin. Saban. Yeah, Ohio State's not leaving the Big Ten. Saban. It's dude. It's just it's the imbalance of the division. It's not. It's not a slight against Penn State or or Franklin or anybody. I think I would do. I I honestly think I would say. I would definitely say the same thing about Michigan. Well, and if we're talking about, and I might I might even say the same thing about especially Ohio if State. we're talking about moving forward. Like if we don't count the one Franklin yeah. already has. If we're saying from this point forward, I think it's definitely saving. If we count Franklin's the first one. That becomes a lot dicier. I think that's a really tight battle. I, I really might say the same thing about Ohio State because I have faith in, in in Penn State. I just I think it's going to be tougher and tougher in that division. It just speaks to the imbalance of the of the, of the Big Ten less than it speaks to the prowess of Alabama to win national here's a, titles. Here's a um, sad one from our friend Carl at Joker Strength, um, uh, who I believe is, if I recall correctly, a Purdue uh, Purdue lean uh, Saban or Saban championships or more Jeff Brom seasons at Purdue. Jeff Brom seasons at Purdue. Okay. Uh, if you're confident, then I'm confident. I'll just go with that. It's... Um, the way in which he spurned Tennessee and what I've been told about – do the quick thing and figure out what I'll share publicly. Brom is more of a company man than he probably even should be at Purdue, but I think you can, I think you can feel good about Jeff Brom at Purdue unless – I do think his dream job is Louisville. I do think he's destined to be the head coach at Louisville one day. Um, I'm curious what people think if you have a if you have an up and running things are going great Purdue like wherever he can get them maxed out versus where he he would be God and King uh, for the rest of his life and career uh, compare that to what Louisville could be in the ACC to me his dream job is to go home to Louisville um, so much so that I think he was I think they were smart in looking at the situation in Tennessee and ducking out um, now if a if a Florida state or if a Texas or if, you know, like that level job opens and they want Jeff Brom, I think it's a different conversation, but that hasn't happened yet. It may not happen for a while. I think he's going to be in West Lafayette more than longer than people think um, until a really sort of plum situation opens up. Okay. Uh, Ross, I, we're, we'll, we'll, I think that was the last really good one that I saw. Um, so we'll we're, like for five more minutes here, let's, uh, okay, one more saving oh, okay. or saving saving championships or Dabo titles at Clemson. From here on out, I might actually say Dabo. I still say saving, but Dabo's got at least one more in him. Okay, standard um, deviation. Standard deviation of like one there. Sure, yeah. Um, he's definitely got another one in him though. Uh, Ross Oglesby at Ross Oglesby asks, "What current coach has the chance to change the way we view football in the future?" For example, I'm thinking Tom Osborne in the '90s. How Mummy continuing with Leach, Spurrier, mm. and Gun, Saban's mowing slow, Bud Foster and Venables, Moorhead's RPO, and even uh, Pete Carroll's rugby tackling. There's a wonderful typo. It says Pete Carroll, Carroll's ruby tackling. Um, well, 
this is cheating, but Chip Kelly is now a current coach again. And I don't think it can be understated how much, how much his math, how much his math and determining numbers advantages and, or creating numbers advantages and, and tempo uh, have already changed uh, college football and, and could again, depending on what he wants to do with it now. So that we'll just throw that one out there. It's not popular to say, but I do think, I mean, Kendall Bryles is going to be in a bigger situation this year oh, as, God, OC, yeah. as OC at Houston. And I, and I mean, that's a, they, they tinker, they innovate. Um, yeah. The effect that Baylor had schematically yeah. on teams was, it's been overshadowed by everything that happened off the field, but and you, just, you just can't argue it, so, man. But it's, yeah, it's, but I'm saying you can't argue yeah. against it. Um, and, you know, honestly, to that end, I think maybe maybe Patterson has another sort of moment left in him as a defensive innovator. Yeah, I was going to say, like, whoever starts to, you know, we already saw how defenses are reacting to their run pass options and stuff, just basically dictate the reads they make and go from there. And that's how you always defend option football. But whoever can kind of flip that around a little bit, whoever can can flip that advantage on its head uh, and really make progress, like, you know, it might be Gary Patterson. Um, but whoever can, can kind of make headway in that regard, they'll definitely have a chance to, to be regarded as the next Patterson, at least. I will say that if you're looking for this, you need to know where to look and you're not going to find it in the sec. You're not going to find it in the big 10, you know, urban Meyer was an innovator for that offense and the way that they moved the ball, not when he was at Florida, but when he was at Bowling Green in Utah. Mm. So you need to look to the, to the, to the corners. You need to look to the G five because, the SEC is not going to tolerate. You're only going to iterate or innovate unless you have to. Okay, yeah, you're, going to, you're probably going to steal someone else's stuff too. The how mummy, how mummy getting hired by ten, by Kentucky uh, when he ran that offense and he was at Valdosta State remains one of the biggest upsets ever when it comes to coaching hires. Um, like that just doesn't happen and and it's so rare that it, we ended up with a situation where not only did he get hired by kentucky but then his right hand man got hired as offensive coordinator at oklahoma yeah the, like two years later that was such a unique a situation and it doesn't usually work that way so yeah the mid-majors are usually where you have to go uh to find that sort of thing oh um here's an interesting one since we're we're just we continue to bury paul johnson uh, as hey, hey, asks, what would a transition away from Paul Johnson and his playbook at Georgia Tech look like? Does the new coach rely right. heavily on Juco and grad transfers in the interim while overhauling scheme plus personnel? How long would it realistically take before Georgia Tech looks like a normal team? Two years? Hmm. I, I don't want to. Two years seems right. Yeah, I mean, depends on what the new guys. You could do some semi-interesting things in the meantime. It's not it's not a foreign language, um, and option concepts can be translated in a lot of different ways. So it's not. I mean, if they hire if, talent, if they hire Cliff Kingsbury, or uh, <laughs> well, you know, or and, Chad Morris, and they say, "Here's your roster," you might be amazed. right. And, and I will like um, the, I think the biggest transition will be for the offensive line. Honestly, Absolutely. like I mean, you know, a quarterback being able to throw that might be an issue. We'll see. But you, but honestly, um, like but, I'm not trying to be flippant. You can go in and you can go in on through JUCO. You can sign two or three guys and have them compete, and then have a depth chart of functional pocket passer, functional spread quarterback, pretty quickly. I'm not saying they're going to be good. Yeah. I think it's I think it's offensive line play is absolutely number one, and then athletes yeah. on the edge, different kinds of athletes on the edges. I'm not saying athletes aren't on the edges now. I'm just saying different kinds of 
pass catching pass catching wide receivers, tight ends, pass catching mm-hmm. tight ends. Um, that's going to be the biggest thing. Your defense is your defense is your defense. So yeah, you're going to have you're going to inherit from Paul Johnson um, a some receivers who can block like crazy. And and some big receivers too, some guys who are you know six four two twenty style receivers who can really block on the edge, which you know you'll love that. You'll inherit a bunch of like five eight one hundred ninety pound guys who are playing slot back who can run pretty fast, uh, and you'll inherit some pretty big running backs. Like you can kind of establish a power running game or a power running and play action game that isn't a triple option, but is not eighteen steps away. But the yeah, the biggest thing is you you will have to sign a couple of JUCO linemen and get that transition started as soon as possible. Uh, not a save and or bill, but I am a question nonetheless. Lucas Bloss asks, probably late here. Sorry, nope, you're not. Who wins, the All Conference USA team or Bama? Well, if we're talking about current CUSA members, uh, the All CUSA team would include Randy Moss. No, I think he's talking about current. Oh, I thought him at like all time CUSA team. No, no, I oh, definitely like, think he means like currently. Okay, okay, okay. And the answer is definitely Bama, but here's what the, here's, here's a rough idea. I'm going to pull up. Athlons came up first. Okay. Uh, This is the all conference USA 2018 team. Uh, Mason fine, the quarterback at North Texas, Spencer Brown, the running back at UAB. Um, Then you, Terry's awesome. Yeah, they have. Yeah. So what do they do? A two back set here. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, there's some great, there's some great players here. Um, Marshall's loaded again. That Tyree Brady kid's good. Um, looking just the Ted, ones that Teddy jump Beal, out. Teddy Beal's good. Ty Lee um, of Middle Tennessee is somehow still a middle Tennessee. running back from La Tech. Have that running back. Um, I mean, I without I, without knowing all these guys individually, that's funny, man. People keep talking about how good the ODU defense is going to be. That's crazy. Uh, no, there's. I mean, I don't even need to look at this roster. There, there's great. There's a lot of talent here. I guarantee you, there's a smattering of names on here that are going to have substantial NFL careers because it, it is a deeper, better conference than people realize. But no, good, good linebacking no. core, good linebacking core, decent pass rush, uh, lots of pretty solid still skill guys. You can run the ball with Devin Singletary. Um, no, no like this team would do pretty well in the SEC. It's, it's Bama by seventeen um, or twenty. But it's, uh, fourteen yep, to seventeen. Yep. Fourteen to seventeen. Look at you stumping. That's, I, had to, I had to hedge. That's, I, mean, I am the world's best hedger, so I had to throw that in at the very end. All right. You got to get on the road. I got to get to another conference call. One more um, question? Sure. The reader, if, if, if we just can't say no to the readers. Was Michael Dyer down? Joe Bush wants to know. <laughs> yes. I think he was down. Go Ducks. I. Think he was down. I, I, I it, it, it remains negligible. It remains negotiable. Uh, but I believe he was down. Yes. All right. We'll be back next week.